You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. This morning is is Palm Sunday, but it's also the last uh, Sunday of our sermon series where we've been looking together at different perspectives on the cross. Um, Different perspectives on the cross. And so I'll, I'll come back to those in just a minute and share the ones we've covered, the ground we've covered. You can always check either on our podcast or on YouTube. We keep an archive of everything there. Um, But as we get into our perspective this week, our way of looking at the cross, um, I I got to thinking about this one in terms of one of the ways that that I unwind during the week. And I'm almost hesitant to share this with you, but so I'll I'll just share this with you and then ask you not to judge judge me. (laughs) Uh, You'll see why in just a moment. One of the things that I find enjoyable or relaxing at the end of the day is uh, watching fail videos on YouTube. Now, maybe you're not familiar with that genre of video, but if you remember America's Funniest Home Videos, right? Back in the day where you had to like submit your tape, you know? And this is kind of the new generation of it. So instead of everything being filmed landscape, it's all filmed this way because it's all on iPhones. But thanks to iPhones and thanks to the ability to have a camera in our hands, we're able to capture a lot more things. What I've noticed though is that most of the videos that people submit to, to the fail video compilations are actually coming from ring doorbells. And so, of course, because your ring doorbell uh, typically is recording, you're able to capture a lot more things that happen outside your home. I saw the other week where someone shared their ring doorbell, and they had an alligator on their front porch. Uh, That's somewhat of a normal occurrence for us here in Florida. It's never happened to me, but we could see that and say, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, The rest of the country might be a little weirded out by that. But because it's, it's... it's beautiful here, but it's still winter in a lot of parts of the, of the country also. Many of the failed videos that we've seen involve ice. And, and I grew up in Virginia, and so I can at least understand and appreciate what's happening. And this is why I said don't judge me. A lot of those right now are people falling on ice. And I laugh, and I feel guilty. But then I laugh, and I feel guilty. And so just in case you've ever fallen on ice, I've fallen on ice too and hurt myself. Um, so I apologize for laughing at others' misfortune. Uh, But it got me thinking about this particular thing because I've noticed a common theme in these videos. Uh, And the common theme, most of these are taken from the perspective of a ring doorbell because no one plans to slip on ice. Uh, But you see someone basically heading out the door and in one hand they've got their phone and the other hand they've got their bags or their things or their backpack. And they're not thinking about uh, their steps. And they get to the first step and then you see their foot come out from under them and then fall. And of course I laugh, I feel guilty. There's that rinse and repeat kind of thing. Uh, And it happens sometimes in driveways where they come out of the car and they come too quick around the car in the driveway and they slip and fall. Uh, And then you see others who are desperately trying to get back up their driveway, but because of the ice, they can't. And one of the common themes that I've noticed is that they never suspect it, right? They weren't paying attention to it because they were busy on their phone. They were busy like we are at the beginning of the day. We're headed out. We're going to work. We've got a plan and we're making it happen. But one of the common things that I've seen in these videos as I thought about it is that there is nothing that these folks can do when they do slip to catch themselves. For those who have lived up north and those who lived in the north, once you slip on ice, it's, it's over. You just have to accept the consequences of what comes next. There's, there's not much you can do to help yourself. You're kind of at the mercy of whatever comes next. And if there has been a common thread through all of our scripture series, it's been that Unless God stepped in, humanity 
was basically slipping and falling because of sin. Because of original sin, because of the sins that we commit on our own, because of the ways that we just have mixed up and messed up things in the world, that, that we are basically like these videos in that humanity is just slipping on the ice. We're trying to go about our day. We're trying to go about life. But it seems like out of nowhere, uh, we get tripped up. And once we start falling, it seems like there's nothing we can do to save or to rescue ourselves. So while each perspective on the cross has been somewhat different and somewhat varied, the common theme has been that unless God steps in, we're just going to keep on slipping and tripping and falling on our own. We just can't save ourselves. In fact, we could put it this way too, that sin weighs us down and it renders us powerless to change, powerless to overcome these things in our own strength. And I don't think it takes long being a follower of Jesus to realize there, there's some things that we can overcome and that there are simply some things either in our own life or that we see in the world around us, systematic things, that unless God steps in, we just don't have the ability to change as humans, right? Now, no matter how much we, we hustle, no matter how much we kind of get after it, we need outside help. And I think as we've looked over these in the past couple of weeks, I'll take us kind of through the particular ones that we've looked at. Uh, the first couple ones have looked at how Jesus sets us free, uh, how Jesus took our place. Uh, we also switched gears and talked about how Jesus shows us how to live. We talked about how Jesus was engaged in helping us to restore relationships and to be relationship restorers. Uh, and how last week, how Jesus makes us clean. And each one of these are ways that followers of Jesus over the last thousands of years have looked at why in the world Jesus was on the cross in the first place. How do we reconcile that? And how did God reconcile us through the cross? So this week we come to the, the sixth one in our series, the final one. And I think it's fitting that it falls here at the end, and it's fitting that it falls on Palm Sunday. I'll say a little more about Palm Sunday in just a moment. Uh, and it's called Christus Victor, which is Latin for, can anybody guess what it's Latin for? Christ the Victor. It's, it's, a, it's an easy one. Good job. Congratulations on your Latin. For those whose brains were like, I know this from high school. I know this. Right? It stands for Christ the Victor. And it's a way of looking at the cross and understanding that Jesus was there on the cross to give us victory over those things which we cannot win a victory on our own. So today we're going to talk about two things. One, how Christ won our victory for us and how we can live victoriously in this world. So how Christ won the victory and how we can live victoriously in this world. Uh, and to do that, I want to take us to the particular scripture that happens on Palm Sunday. Uh, so this was on what we call Palm Sunday, this was a Sunday, the week before Jesus ends up on the cross. Uh, and here's how John tells the story. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. And they shouted, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written. Don't be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His, his disciples didn't understand these things at first. After he was glorified, 
So after the resurrection, they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. So there's, there's a lot wrapped up in these uh, short passages that, we've, that I've read this morning. And so I want to take a minute to go back and look at some of those things in particular. Uh, the first thing that we see, of course, here is that Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, is really the, the capital point, the central point for the people of Israel. It's the place where the temple is. And so their entire faith really centers around this holy city. And so Jesus rides into town in a parade that looks a little bit different to us, but would have been easily recognizable to those of that day. And let me mention a couple of things. It says that they waved palm branches. And so the palm branches were a way of welcoming into the city, back into the city, a king who had gone out to war, who had won, who had conquered their enemy, and was now riding back into their capital city. Uh, And so kings would be welcomed in that fashion with these palm branches kind of waving, just as a tangible sign and symbol to celebrate their victory. The next thing we notice is this kind of quote from Zechariah, where um, John tells us that what Jesus was doing, they would later remember, was spoken about in the Old Testament. And so in Zechariah 9, it, it tells Israel, you know, as you're looking out for the Messiah, as you're waiting all these years for the Messiah, you'll catch a glimpse of the Messiah when you see them riding in on a donkey. And the shout of Hosanna, not a word we use every day, but a word that means save us. Save us, we pray. Save us. And it captures all the sense that we might think of salvation, not just a rescue here on earth, but there was really this understanding that as Jesus rode in that day, that he might just perhaps be the Savior that they were waiting for, the Messiah. I'm going to hit pause real quick for those who are at home. I'm going to invite others to be kind of like our wind duty. If you see something moving, uh, you are free to grab it. (laughs) Um, So thank you all for doing that. The wind never starts off strong. It always gets stronger as we go. So there's already a couple of things that are happening. Uh, And then, of course, they just kind of come out right out and say it. They say that you are the king of Israel. It's the one we have waited for, the one we have placed our hope in. And what they think is happening is that the Messiah is coming. So they're doing all the things that they know that they're supposed to do for that. And when they use this word, Hosanna, God save us, it, it might be as equivalent. We don't have kings and queens here in the States. But you've probably heard the term before, God save the queen. It's the equivalent of when someone says, God save the queen. And we really link together both this political aspect with this religious aspect kind of in one together. And so as Jesus is riding in, it's, it's pretty clear that they are seeing him not just as a great person, as a great teacher, as a moral leader, but they are really putting their hopes of Savior and Messiah and King of Israel this political conqueror who will defeat Rome, who will set them free and allow them to really fully live into their faith and politics as they understand it. So so make no mistake that, that this parade on that day, they are really putting all of that onto Jesus. In fact, if they were going to soundtrack that, uh, you might be hearing in the background, John doesn't record this, but I think I, on that day that, you know, the queen was playing in the background, like, we are the champions. I mean, there's that sense of celebration as they're riding into town. Like, like we've won. 
this is the guy, it's going to happen, like we're the champions, no time for losers, like this, this is it. Right? And so I want you to understand all that's happening because one of the most challenging things for me every year is understanding how things turn so quickly. In the literal course of a week, how do we go from Sunday being this celebratory, you know, with, with songs and palms and, and understanding of the king to that same person being put on the cross in the same city with the same people gathering around? How do things go bad that quick? My, my thought is that what the people were expecting is that the next couple of, the next week, the next week might look like Jesus taking authority in the temple Jesus beginning to remove the Roman authorities. And as he rode in that week, that the trumpets would sound, and maybe in another week or so, he would be leading out the army of Israel to defeat their enemies, to assert their control, and to retake their city and their land, and to really kind of live the divine right that they understood. I came across a quote this week from William Barclay, and he said this, They were looking for the very thing which Jesus refused to be. They were looking for the very thing that Jesus refused to be. And you look back on the scene and you wonder, how did did they mix the message so wrong? And why didn't Jesus kind of throw his hands up and say, you're getting it wrong? I mean, we've seen this kind of firsthand in our country in the recent months. It's hard to say to a large crowd, hey, this isn't what this is about. Like, let's turn this thing around. We've gotten off on the wrong course. But there was a clue that was embedded in what Jesus was doing where he was trying to say, it's not this political rule that I'm coming after. It's something much different. And the clue is the donkey. The clue was the donkey. Because when a king would ride either out of the town for battle or back in after victorious, they wouldn't ride a donkey, right? They would ride a horse, a war horse, a horse that commanded as much kind of majesty and excitement about this this king as anything else. But Jesus wasn't specific with his disciples to not go and get a horse, but to go and find a donkey. Because while the horse was the symbol for war and conquering and authority, A donkey was ridden as a sign of peace. And maybe Jesus anticipated the crowds and how they would get their hopes kind of whipped up and excited about this coming into town. He thought the donkey is the symbol, hopefully will catch the symbol. That he didn't come to conquer the world in those terms, but Jesus came to win victory that brought about peace. That brought about peace. In fact, hopefully he was thinking that they would realize that he wasn't coming to be king of the world or or king of Israel in that way, but that the title that he was looking for was Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. And John told us in the passage that we just read that they all missed it, that the disciples didn't quite catch in that moment what Jesus was doing, but that they would realize later, after that week, after the cross, after Jesus was raised from the dead, He says that they didn't understand these things at first, and after he was glorified, they remembered. And I'm reminded of how often that's the case for us too. Where the victory that we want Jesus to bring perhaps looks different than what Jesus is about. And how sometimes what we do is we saddle our expectations of the world, 
of what we want, of our hopes and dreams, and we saddle that on Jesus, and we kind of expect Jesus to ride out in front of us as a, as a follower of Jesus or as a Christian or as a church and to accomplish our priorities versus God's priorities. And how perhaps sometimes we also have saddled Jesus with the wrong things, and perhaps the things that we are looking to have done in the world are more of the way of the world and not so much the way of Jesus. As Christians, a lot of times now and through the last thousands of years, we fought hard and violently even to have our rights recognized. You know, we meet here at a school. There, there's, there has and there, there is still, and I don't know how prevalent it still is, but there was a, a big battle for a long time that, that we needed prayer in school and that taking this away was somehow us losing rights as followers of Jesus. And, and we have battled hard against those of other faiths or without a faith perspective to say, our way wins. And sometimes I wonder if that's what Jesus came to fight about. I think sometimes we've wanted Jesus to ride in on a white horse and to save the day because we recognize that things are wrong, but, but we're missing the reality that he's riding in on a, on a, on a donkey to bring peace to bring peace. And perhaps just because we see so many things around us that are broken and hurting that we, we, we know that things need to change and we're just not quite sure how to get there and we think, let's just do it how everyone else does. And Jesus invites us to the way of peace. And as I think about how things went wrong on that next week, I think that's part of it is because the expectations of what everyone then wanted Jesus to be, they were realizing were not the things that Jesus was willing to do. That the victory that he was going to win was much different, but still necessary. And so as we think about this idea of Christ as victor, well then what in the world was he victorious over if it wasn't a political conquering type victory? Well, well there's two parts to this. The first thing is that there was an absolute victory that was won on the cross. And and in the tomb that week. There is an absolute victory that is won in which Jesus is crucified, is placed in the tomb, and dies a real and literal death, defeats the powers of death, and rises back from the grave as a way of saying death is defeated. That the sting of death is no more that, yes, we still die, and we still experience the death and dying process. But there is life after this life. And so there is a very real and absolute victory that is accomplished in that moment where no longer do we have to allow that, that fear of what comes next to control our lives. And I think that's good news. And the other good news on that day is that the resurrection of Jesus is the kickoff of God making all things new in the world. Of God making all things new. So, so there, is a, there is a line in the sand at the end of that week where there is a real and definitive victory that has been won. But you don't have to be a follower of Jesus for very long to know that there is still a need for a progressive victory. A victory that is, is accomplished kind of moment by moment and day by day. And while we may have looked for Jesus to march out against Rome, what we find is that not only did Jesus ride that donkey of peace into Jerusalem, but Jesus rides the donkey of peace into our life. 
as a way of saying, I come to bring peace. Where there has been division or discord or hurt or brokenness in our own life and in the world around us. And so in our own life, there is, there is that same two-part thing where Jesus wins a decisive line in the sand, victory in our life, and we are saved for life eternal. And at the same time, where we realize that Jesus is winning a progressive victory in our own hearts and in our own lives. Uh, because, of course, we don't become sinless on day one of following Jesus. I certainly didn't. I, I don't know anyone who ever has. If you had, talk to me after service. We'd love to know your secrets, right? But as we understand that Christ is the victor, we realize that what's happening is that Jesus gives us victory over sin in a final sense, and that Jesus enables us to live victoriously over sin in our lives. Do you, do you remember the clue? What was the clue from the scripture? You can shout it out. I feel like you got it, but I can't. The donkey? Is that what you said? If you didn't, that's what you said. <laughs> the, the donkey was the clue. Jesus rides in to bring not war, but peace. He wasn't interested in a political gain or assuming a throne. He was interested in liberating people from sin, from the sting of death, and bringing a real and abiding peace into your life and in my life. And so Christ the victor isn't so much about slaying our enemies and slaying the enemies of the gospel, as we might put it, but it's about him humbly riding into town to bring peace. And so the good news for us, I think, corresponds to some of those fail videos that I enjoy as my own guilty pleasure. I want to think about this in this term, this, this idea of these fail videos, and in particular, all these folks that I've watched kind of slipping on ice. Maybe if you have some homework, it's jump on YouTube and look for some of these, these ice things, and maybe you'll, it'll help you also. Because Jesus did win an absolute victory where death is defeated, and the ice doesn't last. Right? Even in the coldest parts of our country, we know that eventually the ice will melt. It will go away. There's a decisive victory of spring and summer. But there's also a progressive victory where for a little while we're still going to be slipping and tripping on the ice around us. Right? So Jesus invites us to live victoriously over sin. So how in the world do we accomplish that? And I noticed that there was at least three things from people who have fallen on ice that I think can help us as followers of Jesus to live into this principle. And the first thing is simply the importance of handrails. Right? There's a reason why there's handrails on steps. And every time I watch one of these videos, no one is holding a handrail. Because if they were, that's not funny. No one falls. They just make it safely to where they're going. It doesn't get put on YouTube. But instantly what happens is someone has their phone in one hand and their bag or their purse in the other hand, and their foot goes out, and they instantly reach for the handrail. But you and I know it's too late. It's too late. They're not going to get it. But they still reach out and they still try. And I see that, that instinct as that instinct that we have when things go wrong, when we slip, when we fall, when we make a mistake, to, to reach out to Jesus. And while that may not help in the moment of falling on the ice, that, I believe, is the Spirit of God within each one of us, that we, we instantly reach out to Jesus, whether it's for forgiveness or for help, or just to say, Lord, help me. I've heard it said before that one of the most authentic prayers that we can pray is, Lord, help. Or as we said today, Hosanna, God save us in those moments. 
So it's important for us to, to hold on to Jesus in the slippery patches and in the slippery places where we know that we might or often do fall or sin or make the wrong decision. As we enter those places, as we come to those opportunities, it's a good reminder for us to reach out and to hold on to Jesus for the support that we need to live victoriously over sin. Remember I said God doesn't necessarily make us sin free on the first day. It takes us partnering with God. The second way that we can do that, I believe, is by paying attention. As I said, no one was really paying attention to the ice that was in front of them. Of course, sometimes it's hard to see. And there's a quote from Thomas Merton that goes like this. He says, there it is. For just as the wind carries thousands of wing seeds, and our banners and various other things too. For just as the wind carries thousands of wing seeds, so each moment brings with it gems that come to rest imperceptibly in the minds and wills of people. Most of these unnumbered seeds perish and are lost because people are not prepared to receive them. And when I first heard that quote, I imagined, I don't know what they're called, but those little seeds, uh, we called them helicopter seeds as a kid. And the way that when they'd fall, they just kind of helicopter down. And the image that I get here from Merton is just thousands upon thousands of these little winged seeds kind of flying at us. But because I'm not paying attention or because, as in the ice, I'm looking at my phone or I'm busy with kind of my backpack or purse or the tasks of life, I miss them. And I believe that God is each day sending out just thousands of these little messages of, of love and hope and compassion and mercy and help. And it's the invitation for us to pay attention. And the best way that I've learned how to do that are through the spiritual practices, in particular of reading scripture and of prayer. Prayer and scripture, more than anything, have helped me to stay tuned into what God is doing and perhaps to lift up my eyes enough where I can just capture a few of those seeds for the day. Maybe enough for me and enough to share with someone else. And so one of the ways that we can live victoriously over sin is, yes, kind of reaching out to the, for the handrails when we need them, but it's also lifting up our eyes and cultivating ways that we can pay attention to those seeds of goodness that God is sending to us. The third and the final piece is that there's a few of those videos on YouTube where the person isn't alone and someone else is with them. And without fail, <laughs> that's funny, without fail, without fail when the person slips and falls, someone else immediately drops what they're doing to go in to help. And I know that there are some things that we go through where all we need to do is reach out and hold on to Jesus, and there's other things where we're doing our spiritual disciplines and that helps. But sometimes it's just more than we can handle. And sometimes there's more going on than we can muster up the strength in our own spiritual practices to accomplish. And we need someone else alongside of us who once we've fallen or slipped can extend a hand whose feet are on safe ground where it's not iced and help lift us back up and get us to safety. And that reminds me that some of those practices like reading scripture, reaching out to Jesus, prayer, are personal things that we do. But there is just as much important of spiritual practices of doing life together. Just like those who are gathered online together, the comments give us a sense of that togetherness. Those who are together in person, we have a sense of we're on this journey together, and none of us are perfect. And we need the help and the support of a, a friend in Christ who can help pick us up 
and help invite us back to Jesus with love and hope and maybe offer some of the seeds that they caught that day to us. So the good news is that Jesus gives us a, a sweeping victory over sin, but also a progressive victory. And it involves us engaging our faith, but also us engaging with others. There's always that quote that says that there's no such thing as a lone Christian. We can't do it alone. We can't do life alone. So as we wrap up this series, as we really kind of have woven through this thread together that the cross deals with the issues that we have, that we can't accomplish all that we need to on our own, that we needed a Savior. I hope it has invited you to maybe see it differently than maybe you were raised with or to see it differently maybe than you were taught. Hopefully this helps us to kind of round out our understanding of the various ways that we see the cross. Because each one of us is called to live in the victory that Jesus gives. And rather than taking our freedom for granted, to use that freedom to love God and to love others. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.